0: Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Ben Fuquay. This week at Renovate, we had a panel discussion, and I'm joined on stage by two of our other pastors, Matt Lance and Amy Foster, uh, as they step in to helping answer questions that you guys texted in about dating, relationships, and marriage. Enjoy. Like Casey was saying, did you mention it was going to be a different night tonight? I don't remember. Did you, okay, I think he mentioned it was going to be a different night. Um, I'm excited. For those of you guys who are new, thanks, brother. Um, uh, my name's Ben. I work here, and I love you guys, and I love this. Uh, tonight's going to be pretty cool. Uh, Matt Lance, if you want to come on up on stage, and Amy Foster are going to be joining. Yeah, give it up. Give it up. Um, everyone cheer for Amy, by the way, just so you know. They cheered for Amy. There was no, no match here.
1: cheering
0: for me. Um, hey, while they're grabbing their seat, too, I forgot to get a music stand. You might grab me one of those. Thank you, brother. Um, we, a couple things just to put on your radar. One, there's this uh, pagan holiday called Halloween that's coming up. Yeah, pagan holidays. Anyone? No, no never mind. Never mind. Uh, anyway, that's coming up in two Wednesdays from now. Thank you, dude. Uh, Don't tell them it's
1: a Christian holiday.
0: Shh. Oh, is it? Oh, Reformation Day? Cool. Yeah. Um Whatever. We, uh we're going to basically just throw an epic party on that Wednesday, just so you kind of have a heads up on that. Uh, we're not going to come in here. We're going to just do a massive uh, party in the, in the field here right behind the church and uh, play a lot of games and all that kind of stuff. And it's really going to be, I think, a lot of fun. And so our hope is that it's a good time, but also our hope to, and really our hope of this ministry in general, is that, that everything we do on Wednesday nights become an opportunity or a tool for those who are in this room who love Jesus Uh, to be able to use this ministry as a tool to invite other people to see this God that we love and to see the community, uh, what a community of people who should be and are trying to surrender to Christ looks like. And so honestly, man, if you've got buddies or coworkers or, or classmates or whatever it is that you do in life who you feel like, man, they're not quite ready to get brought into a church. Maybe they've got some baggage there, or they've seen the hypocrisy of the church, and I get that, and they're just not feeling coming to a worship service. This would be a really low hanging fruit to be able to be like, well, man, just come to this party. And uh, it's not a costume party. If you want to dress in a costume, it's fine. I will make fun of you if you do that. Uh, my five year old will be a raptor, so if you want to come as a raptor, you and him can take pictures together. He'll be here. But um, anyway, just want to put that on your radar. We're going to do a big Halloween party. And then also, You guys, have you heard about this? November 10th. Tell us more. It is the .5K, guys. Oh, yes. .5K. This is a fundraiser for Belize. We run not five kilometers, not four, but half of one, because that's how we do it in the church. I've been training for like .5 minutes. for this. Good. And you'll be ready. You'll do fine. I'll be right. You'll do fine. Anyway, that's coming up on November 10th. So sign up, register for that. It should be fun. Okay. You guys ready for this? Nope. Only these. Only this side. Uh, so we we put together. I've brought these two up on stage. Last. Four or five weeks, um, we've done this series on uh, relationships and marriage and dating and all of that stuff. Um, We have had a phone number, for those guys who are new to this, up on the screen. We've been receiving your text messages and questions and pushback and critiques of my wardrobe and all of those things that you guys have been texting in, (laughs) uh, great gifts, all of that stuff we really appreciate. Um, And so uh, we're we're grateful for that. And so what we've really done is we've tried to assimilate all that and and figure out, man, this is just going to be a night driven by the questions that you guys have asked. So these two are, I think as of right now, two of my favorite people, uh, mainly just because you're up on stage with me, let's be honest. Brilliant. As soon as you get off stage, you're dead to me. But for right now, <laughs> uh, two of my favorite people. This is Amy Foster, guys. Give it up for Amy. <clears throat> Amy uh, is a mom of three boys who are brilliant guys. Like I had one of her sons when I was doing fifth, Six ministry, and I remember talking to him as a sixth grader and being like, I'm a moron. <laughs> this kid is way smarter than me. Uh, he, she just has raised three really incredible young men. Um, she's on staff at this church for now six years or so. And what's your, what's your role? I'm an associate
2: minister to women, so um, all kinds of ministry to women. And, and mostly I coordinate women in the Word Bible study and ministry to moms.
0: A, and a lot of people in this room, a lot of you ladies might not know some of the resources that we have at this church for women uh, in this church and how we have a... I think women's ministry is one of the things we do best at this church as far as our desire to disciple and, and push them towards Jesus. We don't care as much about the men, but the women, it's like, man, let's make some disciples there. It's just easier, man. They're more teachable. Men are stubborn. Uh, and it costs more money because you've got to feed them with bacon. It's a whole thing. Anyway, incredible ministry. Check that out. Uh, and even pull aside uh, Amy if you just want to ask more questions of how, how to get plugged in specifically. And then Matt somehow is on staff here, right? Are you still on staff?
1: No, I think I got fired. Okay, good. We'll be fired after being up here. on stage Yes, you, definitely.
0: So. Tell us, tell these guys what you do uh, here, and, and, and tell them a little bit of where you—you know—tell them the whole Pine Cove thing.
1: Yeah, so I've been on staff for about a year and a half here at Christ Chapel. I came from Pine Cove out in East Texas. I was—I uh, worked out there. Yeah. Okay, calm down. Go cones. Go cones. <laughs> um, is that a thing? You call yourself cones?
0: Is that a thing? I, I guess it's a thing. All right, now it's nah, a thing yeah. now. It's yeah. a safe place. This is a safe place.
1: Uh, so Go I've been on staff Cove. here about a year and a half. I came on to do some recruiting for Pine Cove, and now they've. They've uh, moved me out to the West Campus. I'm the associate pastor out at the West Campus in Parker County. Cool, awesome. These two people, guys, uh, they love
0: Jesus. Uh, they really do. Uh, Matt and Amy are, are people that I look up to a ton. Um, they are packed with wisdom. What God has done in their life and kind of the story of their life, but also just the way God has gifted them is really cool. And so as we got to this, this week and as we started prepping this, it was like, man, who do we want up here on stage to kind of help unpack some wisdom Um, but also, honestly, to push us towards Jesus. We know that's what we need. Uh, I'm excited, so thank you, thank you both for being here. Um, I I wanted to start, and we're gonna start, just so you guys know, a a little slow in the sense of I wanna give you guys some time to to talk and kind of set up your stories. Um, Not all of our answers will be this way, but I want you to take about five minutes, Matt, I think it's important, to talk through um, your story of specifically as it relates to dating and some of the mistakes and kind of the ups and downs of that, and then what you feel like the Lord has really shown you on big picture of just the hot mess that it is, right? Dating in general is just this messy thing. It is often a toxic thing. um, And and even that bleeds into marriage. So we've got married
1: couples here, engaged couples here. Uh, I'd love to hear kind of your story and then then we'll have Sure. So a little bit about me, Uh, I am married. My wife is, her name's Darcy. We've been married for, it'll be 16 years in December. We've got three kids and uh, having a great great time out there. We. I would compare my dating life uh, um, back in the day uh, (laughs) to something akin to some sort of science experiment where I was really excited to play with chemicals and to see, you know, what would happen when I combined things, and then there was a really (laughs) bad explosion, and uh, people were hurt, and uh, it it was just really a a huge mess, and it took me years to clean it up. So that's kind of how I would generally summarize my dating experience, uh, mostly through high school, and then, you know, I stumbled my way through college, and then somehow convinced my wife to agree to marry me. So, um, but I would say in general, uh, my, my dating experience was, uh, for me, so much about my ability to do what I thought the other person wanted um, or what would be attractive to the opposite sex so that I could be more desirable or so that I could be um, more highly thought of. And so I jumped through the hoops, I climbed the ladders, I did whatever it is I thought I had to do, bent over backwards, whatever. And at the end of the day, by the time I got to college, I just kind of got burned out. I'd, I did the stupidest thing in the whole wide world. After my freshman year, I went to, I think, like every you know, sorority function and had a whole bunch of fun. And I was like, this is just dumb. I'm never gonna get married. I've, I've, this is horrible. I'm ne- I've just, I just ruined my life or I ruined somebody else's life. And so I just basically declared my sophomore year that I just wasn't gonna date anymore. And I paid the price for that. I didn't get invited to any sorority functions. Mm, so it was the worst. It's tough. Man. And to have any t-shirts to wear that ah, year is it terrible. Tough.
0: You can get them at thrift stores. That's what I did. I know. I pretend I got invited. I learned that my junior yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
1: so uh, long story short, guys, the the hardest lesson that I learned, and I think why you know dating is a hot mess, whatever that is, uh, is that for me, dating was all about how well I could perform, not just for the person I was dating, but for the persons I wanted to date but at the end of the day, when I went home, even after, I, even when I was in dating relationships, so I'd have to go home and look in the mirror and realize I was performing for myself, trying to become something that I wish I was because I didn't have the thing that I wanted so badly. Mm-hmm. And I thought the only way that I could get it was if I just worked harder. And I'm telling you guys that dating is a mess because it's a performance trap, okay? And I'm sorry, but dating has a monopoly on getting together. Like there's no other option for you unless you sign up for Ben's arranged marriage program. I'm working program. on it,
0: guys. I'm working there's on it. There's a bulletin
1: it. board out here if yeah. you want to sign up for his arranged marriage program. some legal loopholes
0: I'm running into, but eventually
1: we'll get an arranged yeah. marriage
0: ministry. It'll be awesome.
1: No big deal. No big deal. Give it time. But really, there's no other option. If you want to get married, dating is your only deal. And really what happens is you're in a relationship with someone and you look at them and you're like, wow, I just don't really like the shape of your nose, or man, I don't really like the way that you talk to your food, or I don't really understand why you smell the way that you do. That doesn't make any sense to me. At the end of the day, your performance just doesn't cut it. And we all know deep down, whether you're a guy or a girl, when our performance doesn't cut it, the underlying message in all of that to us is I'm not worth it. None of us like to hear that. And what's hard is that bleeds into marriage. Absolutely. That if we don't understand how relationships work, how love works and what love is supposed to do, then at the end of the day, that performance mentality goes into a marriage relationship and husbands and wives clash and then they eventually divorce because it really is still a performance-based relationship and not one that's based on sacrificial love that loves somebody beyond what their failures deserve. So, I feel like I learned a lot of my lessons the hard way, as I'm sure we all have in this room and are currently are learning, myself included. But I think that uh, at the end of the day, dating really taught me some really hard lessons. Yeah. Thank
0: you. And we're gonna dive into some of the practical mm-hmm. things in that. <clears throat> Amy, share with us, if you don't mind, your, your story, kind of what God has done and what he's shown you. Yeah,
2: sure. Thanks for listening. Um, you know, what God has done in my life so much uh, show me who he is through dating and through the wounds and the yearning that get stirred up in our heart and our relationships. So I'm going to tell you kind of my life story mm-hmm. here because um, my testimony is really God using relationships to, to create emptiness and, um, mm-hmm. that drove me down. So I became a Christian when I was four or five years old. My parents lived the gospel in front of us every day. I don't remember not knowing Jesus and not believing in Jesus. I don't have a testimony of my life was broken and hurting, and I searched for God in that. My testimony is kind of reversed. Mm-hmm. I found God first, and then in brokenness and searching that always came through relationships, um, I found a bigger picture of God. So I became a Christian when I was four or five years old, believed that Jesus was my Savior, knew I needed a Savior. Um, When I was in college in a ministry very much like this, I met um, a young man who I fell in love with. He professed faith in Jesus. He had evidence of faith in his life. And we got married literally the day after we graduated college, so pretty early on. Um, within a couple of years, it was pretty evident that the the marriage wasn't right. And I can only describe it as the way he treated me publicly didn't match the way he treated me at home. I knew something was wrong, but I could not put my finger on what it was. And in that difficulty, it was like this hole just started growing in my soul. And I could not figure out how to fill up that hole and keep it from getting bigger. So, really, in desperation, that was kind of the first season of my life that I was just really searching for God, trying to figure out how God could fill that hole in my life. And for me, uh, what that looked like is that's the first time in my life I really turned to God's Word, not just to reading devotional snippets, but to really opening the Bible and studying it and trying to figure out what God meant and what God had to say and what I could do with what He had to say. And it was in God's word that he kind of entered that hole in my soul. And what he did, he just strengthened me. And he loved me. And he comforted me. And he cared for me. But the marriage was a mess. Um, But but I grew up, you know, believing marriage is a covenant. And it's forever. and, And you stick with it. And you pray for that person. And you forgive them. And you extend grace. And so life went on, we had these three boys, and we were married for 17 years, and that hole in me never went away. Um, but I just kept going to God, just going to God in that time. And right about the time uh, of our 17th anniversary, things kind of came to uh, a terrible spot, and my then-husband sat down with me one night and said, this you need cheating know." And he literally talked all night long. And what he shared with me was that he had led a double life since his early teenage years. He'd had one life as a young, young teenager, um, fully involved with the gay community and gay culture. And he kept a life with all of his Christian friends and his church on the side, and he, he never let them intersect. And he chose to continue that into our life. So suddenly, I am recognizing all the things that were wrong in my marriage that I'd never been able to put my finger on. Now now they were, uh, I could understand them. Obviously, I was pretty shattered. This is the person I'd given my life to. And I'd spent a lot of years loving and forgiving and extending grace and to sit there and realize it had all been a sham. And his words to me were, I lie to you about everything, and you're really easy to fool. So all I can tell you is I was shattered. Um, Shattered, I I would have described myself to you at that time as I'm destroyed. My heart, my spirit, my soul, I am broken, and I'm never going to be okay again. So when, when he finally came out and, and wasn't hiding anymore, he felt such freedom. We struggled for about two years, and, and he decided the freedom was what he wanted, and he walked away from me and our marriage and our family. Um, and he walked away from the church and from God at that time too, and that was a huge heartbreak. There was all kinds of deception uh, that was revealed, and I actually wound up in about three weeks' time both in divorce court and also in bankruptcy court. And so I was a single mom with three little boys, shattered and destroyed. And I'm just gonna be frank with you, I didn't really wanna live. Um, Most days I despaired of life, but i think it was god's grace i had three little boys who were hurting and they needed a mom who was going to get up and take care of them every day and they needed a mom who was going to go to work and put bread on the table and so this was this next season of just great yearning that hole in my heart got so big and now it wasn't really like a hole it was like a just an ugly festering wound and i wasn't sure what we were going to do about that so it was this yearning season of, of turning to God and figuring out, can he fill this hole? I'm really grateful all those years I'd spent studying his word, because here were the words that I'd read in his Bible. He binds up the brokenhearted. He's close to them. He heals their wounds. He shelters you under his protective wing. He's your mighty fortress. Um, He's your protector. In his presence, there is joy. Um, You can be satisfied in his presence. Those were words that I'd read and studied, and I needed them to be true because I needed all those things to fill this big wound, um, this big hole in me. So it was a process of just deliberately pursuing God, deliberately turning to God and and trusting that those words were going to be true. True. And I can tell you that they were true. Uh, They were true. It wasn't quick and it wasn't easy, but God came in and healed those wounds over time. And I I shared this with the guys earlier this week. Um, I got up early every morning before the sun was up and spent time with God. I was praying desperate prayers all day long, asking God to help me. When the boys were asleep, I'd walk through the house, praying over our house, praying over those boys. And so many nights, I really had a focused prayer time at the end of the day, um, and I'd be in my bed, and I'd finish praying, and as I'm falling asleep, just barely conscious, I'd kind of wake myself up, because I'd hear myself saying something out loud. And what I was saying was, good night, I love you. And I was talking to God, because he was that close, and he was with me, and he was protective, and he was satisfying me and filling me with joy and healing me. And um, what I want you to know about that time, because we're going to talk about relationships cause wounds, and, and I know you're all going to have wounds. I want you to know God is healer. It really requires two things. It requires time. You've got to give God time. Just intimacy in any relationship takes time. So I gave God time and and that was a blessing to me, but I also gave God deliberate, disciplined effort. I, I was pursuing him, and he says all through the Bible, search for me and you'll find me. Search for me and I'll make myself known. And so I was searching for God by Reading my Bible every morning and looking for him there by praying all day long, by meditating on the scriptures. Um, all of those things were searching for God and trusting those words that he'd written and then letting him show me those words were true. And so God really filled up that hole and he healed that wound. And I was a single mom for eight years and I was very content and happy. And if you'd come to me and said, Amy, I've got this great guy I want you to meet, I'd have said, Oh, no, no, I don't date. And I would have cut it off right then. That's how I handled that. Um, I wanted to be content with God, but I also was pretty afraid. um, Because I honestly believed if I ever hurt like that again, I will die. It will kill me. So I started telling God, "Um, you've called me to single life, and I'm going to give you that for the rest of my life. I'm going to be single, and it's going to be you and me, God. And there was no peace in that prayer. And for a period of time, God just stirred up my soul and wouldn't let me rest. And so I uh, committed to a time of fasting and prayer and asking God to show me what he wanted for my future. And God started showing me that I was being ruled by fear, um, that it wasn't this great faith that was committing my life to me and God. It was fear telling God, you can't change this part of my life, and really kind of closing my hand and not letting God put something in it. So I walked through this process with God of uh, recognizing fear and choosing faith and agreeing if God wanted me to have a person in my life, I wasn't going to go looking for it. He was going to have to bring it to me. And he did. Um, He he brought me a, a great guy. And the first date we ever had, we sat and talked about all kinds of things and I was overwhelmed with how much I respected this man. And I thought, well, that was just really a nice experience. Thank you, God, for giving me a good experience. Now we're done. I've shown you I'm not afraid. (laughs) And that great guy called back about... Twelve hours later and asked me for another date, and i didn 't know what I was going to do because I thought it was one date to prove to God that i wasn 't afraid um, anyway that that went on for about a year and a half, and um, God just taught me to let go of fear and to trust him and that he had work to do in my life and I married that really great guy he 's in the back of the room right now. So I'm in a new season of this yearning for God. Um, I'm in a healthy marriage now. We've been married about seven years, not perfect. We're both sinners and, and we mess up. But I yearn for God in this marriage too, but it's not a yearning because there's a big empty hole that needs filling. Because God has already filled that up, and I keep him right there in that hole. It's a yearning for God, because in this healthy marriage, sometimes I don't look so good. In this healthy marriage, sometimes I'm not all that patient. Or maybe I'm irritable, or maybe I'm not as generous as he is. And in a healthy relationship, you see these things in one another. And so in this healthy relationship, we're pushing each other To God, We're we're encouraging this yearning for God so we can be more like Jesus. And God has shown me who he is. He's shown me who I am. He's shown me the work he has for my life. He's done all of that through all this relationship struggle in my life. So I'm here not because I'm an expert on dating. I've really dated very little. Um, (laughs) But I've learned some things along the way about who God is.
0: And we're done. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, both of you guys, thank you, Amy. Uh, I love how you love Jesus, and I I love um, your faithfulness, the de- the decisions that you made, and the faithfulness you made when circumstances happened the way they did and, and your, ch- your choice to say, I'm gonna continue to follow and I'm gonna lean on the only thing I can. Uh, before I forget it too, and this is not a plug because we care about getting more you know, people involved in women's ministry for the sake of numbers. Um, if, if you are a, a woman in this crowd and you just heard um, this woman and this leader in our church share her story and you heard and you heard that and you felt the spirit of God say, I desperately want to figure out how to lean in more to the word of God, and I'm not sure I know how to do that. I'm not sure how to be equipped in that. I don't, I want that. Um, would you reach out to us? We don't do this for shows. We don't do this so we get, we, we want to pour into your life. And so specifically, I, I love what you guys do and you'll do it so well Leading people and that and and guys too reach out to reach out to Matt and myself and we'll get you plugged in in some real practical ways but I just I want you to know there's resources here I don't want you to just hear this and feel inspired and write down some notes and leave uh, we are a body of Christ that we we desire our lives are spent poured out. To that end. So, um, yeah, thank you. You're thank welcome. you so much for, for your story. And um, I know we're going to keep talking about it as we jump into these questions. Um, it's obvious now to these guys why you two are on stage. So, um, praise God. So, okay, I, I'm going to jump into some questions and, and we'll touch on, on more aspects of your story. But um, here are some of the questions you guys sent in. So, I'm going to start with this, um, Matt. Question. This was a, we got a couple of different questions. What I tried to do was take as many questions as I could and really um, put them in categories. So kind of a broad category that we heard a lot was, and sorry about this guys, but a question that we heard a lot was, why are quality guys not asking out quality girls? We got a few texts. Some with lots of exclamation points. Some with angry emojis. You know. Some with beer bot. You know. Like we got all range of it. Some were sweet, but why are Quality guys not asking out quality girls. Uh, Apparently, a
1: couple of people want to know. Well, because they're morons. No, <laughs> um, that's <laughs> <sounds laughs> not the right answer. Okay, uh, that is not true. Not true, not true. So uh, maybe the best way I can explain this is um, I, coming back to my story a little bit. So the harder I worked to perform to get myself to become what I thought the girl wanted me to be, it made me more of a coward. In the process. Because I wasn't, I was always afraid of failure all the time. Mm-hmm. And you say, we were, I'm afraid of rejection. Yeah, but I was afraid of just not getting it right, not just for her, but for me. And I think a lot of guys, they, they want to be in a relationship. And they look at a pretty girl and they say, like, wow, I, I can't get my act together well enough. Or she knows me deeply enough, she's just going to dump me anyway. Or... There's, I mean, there's all these insecurities that are raging in these guys. They look strong, they look confident, they look like they have their act together, but we're really just hopeless romantics just like the girls are. And we, we, we want to be in a relationship too, but at the end of the day, I was just a coward. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, I, didn't, I wasn't willing to stick my neck out for a woman and say, whatever fear it would take me to be direct with you and say, hey, Betty, or whatever your name is, you're really pretty, I like you, could I take you to dinner? Could I take you on a date Friday night? I, I don't know why that seemed so hard to me back then, but I was so cowardly to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, at least that's my experience.
0: You've spoken too a little bit about how almost in our culture now there's kind of been this role reversal because of that. Yeah. Because the vulnerability of that, and the reality is, if I can speak into this a little bit too, ladies, it's hard. Like, it's it's a really vulnerable place. And so I, I sympathize with that. And I think there's also a lot of guys that would wonder, well, I'm trying, right? Which we can get to that here in a second. But yeah. you've seen some of the role reversal of, of how that's played out.
1: Yeah, so what ends up happening is guys ending <laughs> end up being the passive ones and the girls the ones that have to end up being aggressive because the girls are the desperate, like, they like, no, I have to get married. And guys are like, oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to do it wrong. And um, <laughs> so it all of a sudden, and it's not, it's, Both wanna be married and both are gonna do it wrong and both are gonna make mistakes, but at the end of the day, I find that the biggest mistake that guys tend to make is they don't have courage to ask the question that they want so desperately to ask. If she's gonna be the woman of your dreams, then she's worth the risk, you know? And the biggest mistake that, that women tend to make in the whole process is they settle for men that don't ask. They, they settle for men that aren't willing to to stick their neck out and say, hey, I think you're worth being afraid to ask out on a date. And they'll just like, oh, he looked at me. Hey, come on, come on over. I'm all about, oh, wow, yes, come on over, you know, like, I'm afraid that I'm never going to get married ever again. So I better take, you know, I'll settle sure. for this guy that doesn't even have the courage to make me feel worth sure. asking. sure. Amy, what what about what would
0: you speak into uh, kind of this idea of, and, and this would text in some this idea of people feeling unseen, and mm-hmm. I don't think this is a gender specific thing. You know, mm-hmm. I think we've we've heard some from sisters in this room that just the hurt of being unseen. Mm-hmm. But I know there are guys in this room too who feel like, man, I'm I'm unseen. I'm mm-hmm. trying and it's not mm-hmm. happening. How would you encourage?
2: Well, I'm guessing by unseen, you're...
0: Not getting asked out. Meaning no one's the, the person yeah. you
2: want to see you is, yeah. is not exactly seeing That's exactly what I, you. Yeah. yeah, I think that's where it's. going well, and, and so that, that's a legitimate experience, but it's not exactly true. Um, yeah. uh, unseen would mean invisible. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I, I worried at 40 when I was considering dating, sure. and, and I got some great advice from my dad, and he just said, daughter, do you trust the sovereignty of God? Mm. And I said, you know I do, dad. And he said, then you don't have to worry if somebody notices you or asks you out or ask you out and doesn't ask you out again. Um, God knows where your life is going, and God's got the answer for that. And that seems simplistic, yeah. but isn't it incredibly safe?
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, so I would just say, let's rest in the truth. Um, you're not unseen. God says his eyes are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their prayer. Mm. You're not unseen. Um, and God knows who needs to be asking you out, and, and he's trustworthy with yeah. that. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's hard it's to do, hard. but that's so true. That's and so it's truthful. so safe. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What about to the guy, Matt, who, man, I'm trying. I'm doing it right. I'm putting my neck out there. I'm being courageous, and I keep getting no's. Guy or girl, whatever that looks like, the rejection pattern that seems to be unending. How would you encourage?
1: This is it, right here. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is the secret. Like, Give you're going to walk out of here. This is it. And now, like all the women will just come to the yes. guys because of this. This is
0: the secret formula.
1: All right, are you ready, fellas? I've got news for you. Not every woman is attracted to you. <laughs> I promise. So when I
0: now, sa- when I said encourage the guys, what I. What I, it is. What I meant was. This,
1: this is the most encouraging piece of information I could ever give you because it <laughs> makes rejection not that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean. Okay? Mm. One of the things that I tend to do mm. when I talk to guys about this is I pick a polarizing female celebrity. And I say, attractive or not attractive? Generally, it's like Angelina Jolie or something like that. Yeah. And half the guys are like, oh, man, she's amazing. And the other half are like, what? She's yeah. not... And what's interesting to me about that is that there are some people that are attracted to some people and there are other people who just aren't attracted to other people. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) No one human being is universally attractive. And if you're feeling unseen, is it that you're feeling unseen or is it that you're feeling, well, the person I want to see me doesn't see me? Mm Okay, so the reality is if, let's say, guys, you're attracted to Angelina Jolie. Could, if I told you to not be attracted to her, could you do that? Well, no, I mean, I can't really, it's not like a switch I can turn on and off. And if you weren't attracted to Angelina Jolie, and I said, you better be attracted to her in three days or you're, you're in really big trouble. <laughs> no, I can't really do that either. And so when you go out and ask a girl and she tells you no, it's not personal, right? Because I've had, I've had girls in my life and my dating history that I've asked out and they said no, and I was like, you're dead to me. You know, like, <laughs> how dare you? But I've also had a girls approach me and flirt with me, and I was like, um, help. <laughs> you know that feeling when someone's attracted to you and you're not attracted to them? You, have, have you had that? Is it personal? It it's, feels it feels personal. It's I, <laughs> I don't find Ben don't, Fuquay attractive. That's true. I don't. He, either. I just don't, but it's not personal, Ben. No, I still true. like talk to you. That's true. You are kind of I can treat you like I got a, one. Oh,
0: there's one. Yeah, over I got there. one.
1: Good answer.
0: Thanks, babe. I love you so much. No regrets. All right. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness though. Yeah, no, like, that's good. If that, I remember I that,
1: that I'm not that attraction is not universal for me, that when rejection happens, okay, that's fine. I can just keep fishing. Keep you asking. Know, I can keep asking. Keep and asking. That, that I don't have to take every rejection as like, oh, you're unlovable or you're not attractive. No, I just that, that person's person, not yeah. attractive to me. That's yeah. okay. How you had anything to add to that?
2: Well, hey, I, let me tell you who should be sitting up here. I married a 53-year-old bachelor. He dated for 30 years before we got married. Um, And so I've asked him about that. Did you get tired of dating? He got tired of dating, but he wanted a wife. And he believed God had one out there for him. So he just kept dating. Why am I he even got up here? Me, I know, man, so. Just let her talk <laughs> I don't know where that guy is time.
0: in the back of the room, but that guy gets a medal. Yeah, where is Your he? He needs to be recognized. Where he is? does. We give him a trophy at the end of the ser- service. Yeah. So, that's awesome. So you want to I don't ride. know if that's Keep hopeful. Dating. Yeah. Keep yeah. Dating. Keep dating. That's yeah. I love that. Um, <clears throat> okay. We are called to sanctify each other, right, in relationships and push each other towards Jesus and however you want to say that. Um, how do you do that appropriately in the dating realm, right? We know, okay, in marriage, it, you, you shift into those roles uh, fully, but how does that work? How do, are there different levels of that? Like, oh, we're on like a level four sanctifying, but when you're not really my husband or my wife yet, so we can't, you know, how, how, do you, how would you answer that? Are there...
2: Well, I I just think, you know, Spiritual leadership.
0: Even what's it look like to have spiritual leadership? Okay,
2: great, great question. Well, I don't believe that spiritual leadership means he knows more than I do or he's more spiritual. I believe spiritual leadership means, hey, he cares about his own growth and he's committed to mine. So he's growing, he's doing what he needs to do so that he's got an intimate relationship with God. And then he's gonna encourage that in me also.
0: That's good. Yeah. I think that's good because I think so often we think, okay, well if I'm gonna and this is ridiculous, but okay, I'm at a spiritual seven, I have to be dating or marrying somebody who's a spiritual eight, or but you're saying you're you're redefining spiritual growth yeah. not as this linear thing, but as more of just a trajectory. Yeah. Find somebody who is pushing towards Jesus if it's been yeah. if they're a new believer, if they're but but somebody who find somebody who's pushing yeah. you towards Jesus. Yeah, and then Guy that ordering.
2: sanctifying each other, you know, it takes time to feel safe with each other. It takes time before you can tell somebody, hey, you know, I noticed in that interaction in the restaurant, you're kind of rude to the waitress. I mean, you're not going to say that to somebody you've just met. So as yeah. the relationship is growing and it becomes more safe, you can say things like that without the person feeling so threatened then you have these sanctifying opportunities there yeah. when, hey, you could look more like Jesus there. That's
0: awesome, that's awesome. Kind of tied to this, Matt, is this idea, really churchy word of the, uh, this term of like guarding your heart, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's a term that I, I don't know how else to describe it because I do think it's an important concept. It gets overused, I think, in the Christian subculture. What does that look like? You know, you, Before marriage, there's this level of, okay, you wanna guard someone's heart. How do you do that? When do you do that? What's that look like? Is there a formula for it?
1: Yeah, so I think the biblical idea of, of guarding your heart comes from the Song of Solomon, which essentially says, "Do not awaken love until it pleases." Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in dating relationships, we can get out of sync with each other, or one person's running a further ahead of the other person, and or you know, or vice versa, one person's lagging behind or whatever. And we, the the expression guarding guarding your heart, it's not like a biblical commandment necessarily, as much as it's a it's an indication that if we're not careful, our feelings can kind of take over our will, you know, and we would start to do things that maybe we wouldn't have ever intended to do in a relationship um, if our will was kind of driving our feelings instead. And so I think that one of the best things that we can do in a dating relationship when it comes to guarding your heart is to communicate well with each other. And what that means is, is the guy needs to initiate with the girl and say, this is how I feel about you, This is where I would like the relationship to go. Do you want to come with me? And then the girl can respond and say, No, I don't like you and I don't want to continue with you. Or she can say, Wow, I really like you too. I really appreciate the way you've led. And yes, I want to continue in this relationship. Instead of trying to find other relationship barometers to know, you know where are we in this in this race? Are you ahead? Or are you behind? And trying to get her to say that you, that she loves you by saying I love you first and physical touch and those kinds of things that tend to be our relationship barometers. We don't need those if we communicate well and intentionally on the front end. Hmm.
2: Okay, I want to yes. speak to please, that. Please. I'm going to talk to the ladies <clears throat> in the room. Guard your heart is not an overused expression. Um, Women need to be guarding their hearts because here's how it works with women. On the third date, if it's going well, you're planning the wedding flowers and you're naming your children.
1: It's true. (laughs) And practicing your signature. You know,
2: it's true. And so the the guard your heart idea for women, um, I'm just practically speaking, don't let your heart get out ahead of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let your heart get out ahead of the actual circumstance, where you really are. It's a third date. It's not an engagement party. It's a fourth date. It's not the honeymoon. Um, and, and so it's that really real, because th- this is, um, women are prone to this, and I am I'm, I'm as well. Um, But it's just so easy to think of all these dreams and hopes and let those things get out ahead. I think it takes a long time to really know a person. It takes many experiences seeing each other in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And if your heart is out ahead and you've been planning the wedding for three months, when your brain starts recognizing caution, 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 your heart won't hear it. And the same is true when your heart is way out ahead because physically you've crossed all those boundaries. When your brain is saying, hey, I'm not so sure about that, your heart won't hear it. So I think it's a a really strong caution for women who we do have these lifelong desires and hopes and dreams. And so it's always don't let your heart get out ahead of your brain. Be be very aware of what's happening and don't let your heart get out ahead of the circumstances. The third date is just the third date.
0: That's good. And that's so good. And that is truth for, I mean, there's so many brothers of mine in this room. I mean that—that that is true. I think across the board because yeah. I, I think sometimes guys show it differently, or at least culturally, we're supposed to show it differently. But so many guys I know who those are conversations too of that third date. They're like, "Man, I, this girl." I'm we're planning to- the honeymoon,
1: not the wedding. Yes, exactly. That's true.
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's a good distinction there. We don't. We're not thinking about the flowers. are No. Um, <clears throat> okay. So let's let's move on from that because here's the thing. I got a good laugh for that. That was good. Well, yeah, it, was a, it was a sympathy laugh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So. Here's the thing, and this is, um, this is serious because, man, this is so dangerous, man. You, we're, we are so vulnerable in this place. Mm-hmm. And even when I hear you say, okay, one of the big keys to guarding heart, your heart is communicating well, so many people communicate what they feel. By date three, they are communicating, I want to marry you. I feel this way about you. Our hearts are deceptive. You know, we ha- we ha- I've seen so much brokenness and hurt. Even from communication, because it was communication without integrity backing that up. It was communication saying and setting expectations that never came to fruition, mm-hmm. that wasn't backed up by maturity, lifestyle, choices. And so there is brokenness and there's breakups. Mm-hmm. And there is hard, hard breakups of somebody who either tried really hard to guard their heart, but they were not, they weren't getting helped by the girl, they weren't getting helped by the guy, um, or they just hadn't really thought about guarding and they ran headfirst into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The breakup happens, it is devastating. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What do we do, how do you heal from that? I mean, especially you're trying to do it right, you're in that hurtful relationship, it ends. How do you heal?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you go to the healer.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, You don't go other places first. You know, if you had a broken leg, you'd go to the hospital, and when you have a broken soul and a broken heart, you go to God, and you remember that he's in the redemption business. He takes things that are broken and He makes them beautiful. He he heals them. He binds them up. You remember it takes time. It takes disciplined effort. And I I think maybe we're going to talk about this a little later, but I... I I might be jumping ahead. No, that's just jump okay. in there. Go for it. You know, I think you have to always go back to your identity. Yeah. You know, um, your identity doesn't change if somebody accepts you or rejects you. Your identity doesn't change um, if you're in a relationship or out of one. You've got a creator, and he gave you an identity. And, you know, you're sons and daughters of the Most High King. And here's your value. Jesus was willing to die for you. And here's your worth. You're clothed in righteousness, and here's your future. God has good work for Mm -hmm. you to do. You're going to breathe grace and mercy and the gospel all over the world, and then you're going to spend forever worshiping God. Mm. That's who you are, and who you're dating or who you're married to never changes that. So, yeah, the breakup hurts, That doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change your value, your worth, what he has in store for you in the future. So I think you have to hold on to those things and you have to just keep going to the healer and believe that his words are true.
0: Thank you. I love that. I think, thank you for that. And from the place in which you speak from that, from experience, but also pushing pushing us to the healer, I think is yeah. incredible. Matt, you anything to add
1: to that? I, I, just, I just think you got to remember, I think that since dating is a performance-based way of, of starting and, and maturing a relationship to marriage, that 100% of dating relationships end, and 99% of dating relationships don't make it to marriage, Right? we all understand that's the game we're playing. It's going to end one way or the other, either in marriage or breakup. Right, yeah. So 100, 100% and because it's either going to end in marriage or breakup. That's probably a, a good point of I got your back. I got your back. <laughs> but, but there's only, of however many people you date, there's only going to be one of them that you marry. And so 99% of the people that you date, you won't marry. And if there's breakups involved, then there's going to be pain, and there's going to be hurt. And if you go into a dating relationship and you don't know who you are... Mm. If your identity isn't built on something that's bedrock, yeah. dating will destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will. Yeah.
0: And then you'll look from that brokenness to another relationship to, to fix and to relate that foundation. You'll find
1: identity in a relationship.
0: And you'll yeah. find yourself in a pattern from one broken relationship. Okay, well, I'll start a new one and it'll be fine for a while because it kind of covers that. It's a it's living death. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's depressing. All right. Um, (laughs) You asked the question. Hey, Ah. man, it was true, and it was good, and it was convicting, and I'm grateful for it. I really am. Okay, Um, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about identity, which I think is so important, especially to this idea of, you know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I think you answered it so well, but we got a question about, man, when do I need to arrive? Like, okay, when do I need to be healthy enough? When do I have that bedrock cemented? You talked about identity. Matt, just real quickly, how would you say... Okay, so when am I ready? Like, when is that bedrock in Christ enough to then healthy, be in a healthy place to date? Give us the elevator spiel of of what that looks like. Um, You mean, like, when am I ready to get married? Or just start a dating relationship? Uh, Maybe both. I would say dating. I would say, when am I healthy enough to really put my heart out there, pursue uh, lead, whatever
1: that looks like. Okay, so I'll give you both ends. Yep. So uh, you know that your, bed- your identity in bedrock is ready for dating and that sort of thing when you can experience failure and pain the way Amy has, you know? And I know that it's taken her a long time to learn those things, but when, when, when the wind and the waves come and it doesn't wash your house off of its foundation, okay, when your house is built upon the rock and you can, and you know that you can endure pain, unexpected circumstances, curveballs, whatever you want to call them, that come in your life and you're still the same man or you're still the same woman that you were before and after that event, that's when you know that your identity is solid, that that it can endure some shaking. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that, how do you know when you're ready to be married? Well, man, I mean, I think it's all about when you know that that other person's failure is no obstacle for your love. I mean love exists for sin for failure. And if you say if you want to say that you want to love someone then that means you want to lay your life down for a sinner who's more important than you because that's what Jesus did for all of us. I want to lay my life down for a sinner who's more important than me. So when you see that when you see that person's performance flaws and you say I still want to sacrifice for that person's benefit, you've got something special. I love that. And I think, I hope
0: hope we have ears to hear that paradigm shift Mm -hmm. because that is a radical paradigm shift Mm -hmm. for how we are to evaluate and step into this than every other influence outside of the gospel and the word of God in, in your life. Every other influence is teaching us that performance mentality, teaching us to see through the lens of does this person match me enough? Mm -hmm. Are we compatible enough? Are we, are they, are they satisfying enough of me? Are we, is this working for me and that? Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is this shift to say, it doesn't have to do with, are they good? It has to do with, am I in a place where I am ready to lay down my life for them? It has so much more. And so many people will say, man, how do I know? And when am I ready? And I think we're asking about the wrong angle, We're asking about, well, when can I find the right person to complete me as opposed to you're ready when you become mature enough to be able to see through the lens that Jesus sees Mm -hmm. and then pursue the girl or the guy from a place of, I want to lay my life down. And that person is willing to also submit in that same way to you as as you're submitted to them. Absolutely. It's a paradigm shift that our world says now it's all about chemistry. It's all about, do they they connect in enough places in enough ways? Mm -hmm. But those things change.
1: That's right. People change, and I would say my mm-hmm. wife has the best and the most practical way to do this. You know, ladies, at least this is what she did when she was seven years old. She wrote down all the qualities of a, of a man she wants to yeah, marry. Yeah, you know, checklist. Tall, dark, handsome, brown eyes, whatever, whatever. <laughs> a little gray in his beard. Little gray in his beard. Yeah, you know, <laughs> dashingly handsome. Uh huh. Yep. Anyway, yep. <laughs> um, she tells girls when she meets with them, she says, "Hey, I realized that I should have thrown out that list because when you have a list of somebody that you want, then you go into a relationship to get."
2: Yeah. You're a consumer.
1: You're yeah. not trying. You know. You're not going into a relationship to give. Mm-hmm. You know. And so she said, "Well, instead, think about the vows that you're going to make at your wedding. I, Darcy, take whoever to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, or for worse, for richer, for poorer, to love and to cherish, to die, you part. There are no ifs in those, by the way. Find a man you would be willing to say that to, mm-hmm. and that's when you know. And
0: find a woman that you'd be willing to lay down your life for. Exactly. That's good." That's good. Okay, another question. Amy, how long, this was texted in a couple different angles, so this is my wording of it, but how long should we offer grace? We're in a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll say not yet marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long do we offer grace to that person uh, that we're dating who is a believer, but they just keep getting tripped up by the same sin patterns maybe, yeah. and they just keep finding themselves stumbling again and, and maybe trying to bring into the light and trying to walk through it, but it's just a pattern. How yeah. long?
2: yeah. I can't tell you days or weeks or months, but I can tell you there's a fine line between extending grace and forgiving and enabling sin. And there comes a point when your ongoing forgiveness, your ongoing grace, your ongoing protecting this person from consequences is no longer about grace and they're experiencing God, but it's about you've created a safe place for them to continue in their sin. Hmm. And so you know, that's a, a unique experience for everybody and, and definitely it's going to take the wisdom and leading of God to let you know when you're at that point. Um, but before marriage, I'm talking about before marriage, not mm-hmm. once you're married, um, I think you have to look at those kind of sin patterns and always be recognizing, hey, our, our job in marriage is to be encouraging the other person's spiritual growth. And if, if you're allowing their continued sin and creating an environment that makes it okay for them not to grow, then you're gonna have to back up there and look at, you know, is God asking me to quit enabling this? Hmm. And that usually means stepping out of it, step yeah. out of the relationship.
1: Yeah. And I think we also need to remember that confronting <laughs> sin is an act of grace. Yeah. It is a generous mm-hmm. thing to do, to bear the burdens of your brother or your sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. And especially in a dating relationship, they are still your brother or your sister in mm-hmm. Christ. They are not yet your wife or your mm-hmm. husband. And as such, the Bible speaks very clearly about how sin needs to be handled. Matthew chapter 18, you confront the person about their sin and if they reject your confrontation, then you bring one or two more people in with you. And if they get rejected, then you bring them before the elders of the church because that's their ultimate authority is, is the local body. And if that's not effective, then there's steps beyond that. So, I think that in this situation, whenever you have a difficult um, sin struggle in a relationship, the temptation is to go, "Well, it's not loving if I don't if I confront them about it," and that's that's not the case. Yeah. Um, Hebrews twelve talks about God loves us as a father, and that's why mm-hmm. he disciplines us. That's yeah. why he confronts us with the things that we need to change in our lives, and so. I think probably the other piece of wisdom in all of this is if it's very serious or if it's something that has been repetitive and, mm-hmm. um, and isn't changing, then it's time as a couple maybe even to invite other people in and ask for their help. Yeah. And that the two of you uh, working together on it haven't been effective, so it's time to now say, hey, we need some help with this.
0: Yeah. Bring in community around mm-hmm. them. and That's that's good. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Here's what I want to do. Last, uh, last question. And... <clears throat> um, This is kind of a broad question that encompasses several um, different sentiments and questions that we got. Before I ask it, um, you guys can stick around for a little while. You guys will be around. So I want you guys to know. So what'll happen is when this time wraps up, uh, Casey and the team are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in one more song and I want us to be able to respond to this. There's a lot of information, head and heart stuff, and I want us to be able to respond. And then after that song, uh, you guys are, are more than welcome to stay in here and pray and these guys will keep playing over you and just spend some time praying in here. If you want to sneak out, we're going to ask you at the, after the song to sneak out silently if you would. Uh, I'll be down here if somebody if anybody needs prayer, but you two will stick around and if you guys want to ask them anything else, if you want to drag them aside, I would encourage you though, let if you have a question, like share it with everyone because it's probably a question that's somebody else in that group. Maybe we post you guys up in the fifth, sixth room. You mind? Sure. No, that's so great. they'll be in the fifth, six room afterwards. Pick their brain about as practical or what about this or if you disagree, um, so you'll be available for a little while so this doesn't have to end. And then also we as a church want to keep walking with you. So
1: And then I've, I've written a lot of thoughts about this oh, too. Oh yeah. So. Will you throw that? I totally forgot about that. Thank you. So Matt put this together. How, how would you describe this? Basically, uh, I was a teacher for a long time, and my, t- my students said that I need, to, I need to write down my thoughts about dating, and so I did, and I didn't want to publish it, because I, I didn't want to mess with a publisher, or an editor, or any of those sure. kinds of things, so I just made a blog, a book out of a blog, so it's The Dating Book, and uh, it was really fun. I wrote it in 2011, and it's really hot in Australia right now, apparently. So. <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of views down there, but whatever.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: They are, pretty, they are pretty messed up down there. So,
0: uh, yeah. yeah, good. So, man, this—no joke. This is an incredible resource, and and honestly, this is one of the more practical things that yeah, I've at.
1: It's all practical stuff. It really it's is It's all the practical stuff. So,
0: yeah. you guys take a look at this, um, and we'll just leave this on on the screen. So, if it's a blessing, or if you don't want to write it down right now, uh, so and they'll they'll be around too to ask more questions. We as a church want to keep walking with you too. So this this isn't a this isn't an easy fix. This isn't a a quick. I mean, there's you know. 280 people in this room or whatever there is. Everyone's gonna have different angles and different stories and different needs and different places in life. Uh, let us know how we can walk with you. So la- my last question is this. Um, and and it's, a, it's a compilation of a lot of different questions that we've gotten in. And that honestly, I've heard over the last decade of walking with young adults. What do you say, uh, and, and Amy, we'll start with you, to the young man or the young woman who feels stuck in a relationship right now. Um, maybe they feel like, man, this is the best I'm going to do in a settling way, but also even deeper than that, the best I deserve. Mm. Uh, And and even to the sense of maybe they're stuck out of a relationship because they feel like I'm never going to get what I want of a godly man or a godly woman because I've already ruined myself. Mm. Because you talk about how to do it godly and to do it right. And I've already made those mistakes. I have already been sexually active. I have been Abused. I have uh, an addiction of pornography. I have an eating disorder that, if someone knew the depths of of some of my the hole for me, or the mistakes I've made, or the traps that I feel stuck in, I, I'm never going to get what what the, I'm never going to get that fairy tale. I am mm-hmm. stuck, mm-hmm. and I and I'm never going to deserve that. Yeah. Speak speak into that.
2: Yeah. Just a cu- a quick practical thing and then a heart thing. Um, the practical thing is you got to remember marriage is always two sinners, mm-hmm. and they sin against each other and forgive one another for the rest of their lives. Um, so this idea of you can't come into a healthy relationship because you're a sinner is foolish. We're, we're all sinners in mm-hmm. our marriages and yeah. in our relationships. Um, but the second idea is I, I, I'm repeating myself, but the idea of identity, I just can't stress that enough. But not just your identity, you've you got to be confident in God's identity. You've got to be confident in who he is and what he says and letting him prove himself to you because that's what he will do. And so I'm going to give you a personal example. Um, when my marriage really fell apart at the end, I would lock myself in the bathroom, lay on the floor, and cry into a stack of towels so nobody could hear me. And I would ask God, don't you love me? don't you love me? Because I could not comprehend how God could love me and let me suffer like that. But if I go seven, eight years later after this process of seeking, seeking, seeking God and letting him show me who he is, um, my question changed. And my question is, God, do you love me more than everybody else? Am I your favorite? Mm -hmm. No joke, I'm sorry, but I'm the favorite.
0: (laughs) I so agree here's, you,
2: here's the identity of God I want That's you to remember. His love is so vast and measureless and fierce and faithful. He can love you like you're his favorite. We can all be his favorite because he has that much love for you. So that's a God who wants to heal you. That's a God who wants you to know that you're whole. That's a God who wants you to know that you can leave your sins behind you and he has forgotten them. And that's a God who wants good things for your future. And so I think you rest in your identity that God has given you and God's identity and his love for you. And you're good to go. Hmm.
0: That's so good. That's so good.
1: I don't know that I can say much more than that. Yeah. Um, I think that... I'll speak for the direct, like, like, straight up, the way I feel is, and the way that I would look back and the message I would say to myself back in those days, yeah. that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for my sins and rise from the grave so that I can persist in self-pity. Mm-hmm. I've made mistakes, but if the gospel is true, then the gospel is true. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if I believe in the gospel, then I'm free. I'm washed clean, I'm white as snow. So why am I still here, wallowing in self-pity? Do I believe that when I walk into the light, is, that my sins, like I have fellowship with God, that the blood of Jesus has covered my sins? Do I believe that? It's in the, it's in the depths of our, our darkest moments when we're crying into a pile of towels that our faith in the gospel is the most tested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's in that moment of confession that I am in pain and I hurt, just like all the Psalms of lament mm-hmm. say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But by the end of the Psalm, mm-hmm. yet will I praise you. Yeah. If Jesus Christ, if God loved us so much to give us his only son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, if that's true, then I can't stay wallowing in pity I must move forward in faith. If you are
0: in this room and you are in Christ, I hope you hear this. I hope the spirit of God stirs your affections. I hope this is a sweet reminder. I hope, yes, this is good practical truth and things to apply in your life and relationships, but I hope you know how loved you are by the God of the universe. And I I pray that the, the spirit of God would, continue to remind you of that, that, that you are loved and you are made, that is what our God does. He makes what is old and broken and he makes it brand new. And so that lie and that trap of I have ruined myself is, is so counter to the gospel um, because he takes what is broken. yes, And makes it new. I hope that you not just hear that again from the platform of the stage. I hope that the Spirit of God reminds you that in a deep and transforming way. Uh, That is our prayer for you. That is what we prayed before this night. That is what I will pray here in a second over you. And if you're in this room and you're sitting here and you think, I do not have a relationship with the God of the universe Mm -hmm. the way they're talking about, praise God that you are here. It is not an accident that you showed up here tonight. It is not an accident. And you have a God of the universe who is saying, come, I have something more for you. I have something better and healing for all of the ways that you have tried to chase, all the other things that you have pursued, all of the other brokenness that has happened. I have something better for you. I set your identity for that thing that you are looking for, that person that you want to be, the God of the universe is before you today saying, son, stop running, come and follow me. He is sitting before you saying, daughter, stop running. You are mine. Come to me wherever you are at. That is the God who we worship, and that is the God that we lay our life down to follow and respond to because of his grace and his kindness leads us to say, yes, I want that. I want that. We as a church want that for you guys. We want that. We want it for, my, for our lives to continue to play out in deeper and deeper ways we love you guys. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for how you love us. God, we want this. Um, And you've given it. It's here. You offer it. um, Available for all of us, for those who put their faith in Christ when they were four and have gone up and down and up and down, Lord, tonight is this sweet reminder of not only your wisdom and how you designed these relationships to work, but it's also a sweet reminder of who you are and how you love. And Father, for my friends who are in this room, who maybe tonight, through some conversation about dating, realize I am missing the God of the universe in my my life in a transformative way. And would tonight be a night that changes everything for those soon to be brothers and soon to be sisters? Would tonight be a night that they say, I am done trying to do it myself? I am done trying to clean myself up. I'm done trying to be religious. Would tonight be a night that they look upon the grace of God that you showed in the person and work of Jesus Christ on a cross 2000 years ago, the perfect son of God who because of his death has purchased for those who put their faith in Jesus, freedom from the things that we feel stuck in. Life everlasting, Lord, I praise you for that. Would we see that? Would we acknowledge that? Would those who have wandered come near? Would those who have yet to taste who you are, Jesus, would tonight be a night that changes everything in their life? And Lord, would we be people in this room who would be able to respond and worship, Lord, not just singing songs, but that we'd be able to genuinely respond and worship that you are better, that we trust you, that we want you, that what the world may offer, Father, we want you. We don't want what the world has. We don't want the lies of the world. We want you. So do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. Amen. We really hope tonight was a blessing to you. Um, If you've got more questions, if you've got places that uh, you need help in uh, or even just encouragement, we want to be that kind of a church. We want to be that kind of a ministry and and those kind of leaders. And so reach out to us, uh, email us, uh, look us up on our website, uh, renovatefw.org. And we'd love to walk with you through whatever the Lord might be doing and stirring in your life. God bless you. Have a great week.